0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for attending today's fourth and final presentation of Getting Your Finances on Track with Plan Smart RetireWise Workshop Series. Uh, today's presentation is going to be making the most of what you have today. On the line, we've got Jimmy Deal. Jimmy, if you want to say hi, go ahead.
1: Good morning to everyone.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so, again, my name is Nathan LaCroix with Dickerson Insurance Services, here to promote collaboration between the carriers and the brokers, so the goal of these presentations is to share with your prestigious clients the fundamentals of getting their finances on track. And so to the brokers on the line right now, just wanted to thank you Uh, for wanting to know a little bit more about PlanSmart and the RetireWise solutions and to those clients invited today by your agents. Just wanted all of you to know you are in very knowledgeable and capable hands. We do appreciate you working with your broker on a regular basis so they can provide you, you know, with insight to tried and true solutions. So they are here to do right by you and really navigate this fluid environment we find ourselves in. Uh, So it's now more important ever to continue working with them as well. Uh, Real quick, actually, uh, I I have stolen this from Jimmy, so Jimmy, I apologize, but uh, for the sake of letting everyone know, so I do have two wonderful dogs. If you do hear them barking in the background as I speak, there's some construction folks, and if you hear them, Maybe they're just wanting to talk to them about pet insurance or liability. Who knows what that might might be, but it's all part of the gig, right? You know, being at home, you've got your furry friends and furry uh, work colleagues to keep you motivated to get through the day. Uh, so just wanted to keep that in mind. So um, also we do have everyone on mute right now, just so we can focus on the content. However, you will notice a toolbox on the right-hand side of your screen with a chat and a question box. So during the presentation at any moment, feel free to ask a question or comment on anything that you do see. Um, During the presentation, we may answer a few. Uh, as we go along through the slides but at the end of the presentation we'll field as many of those questions as we can Uh, any ones that we don't get to we can do an FAQ uh, after the meeting and send out those answers out to you via email Uh, so because this workshop does entail proprietary information uh, this meeting is not going to be recorded however afterwards we will send you some contact information as well as really some beneficial documents that we think you'll find useful. Uh, So those of you that attended the first three uh, webinars, there were a few workbooks, a few additional documentations. So we're going to be continuing uh, that that mode as we go along here. Uh, So again, we wanted to let you know that Dickerson here is about collaboration. Uh, Back in 2018, we did become part of the Alera Group located in Chicago, Illinois. And because of that, we now have over 90 groups nationwide or 90 agencies nationwide, as well as now over 3,000 teammates that can help on a local and national scale. So those of you brokers on the line today looking to expand uh, not only your business, but get into different market segments, we're definitely here to help because that's what it is. That's the lifeblood of our company is collaboration and diversity. Uh, So with that, what I wanted to do is uh, get the controls over to Jimmy uh so while i do that jimmy if you wanted to say hello everyone to everyone we'll get the presentation yeah. started
1: absolutely thank you Nathan. and let's see here Show
0: screen
1: oh there, there we go. go and today and now let me just fire this up here we good the go making the most out of what you have
0: there we go we can see the screen All right
1: so i don't uh, I have one dog at home today. The other one is actually with my wife at Canine Good Citizen training, which is kind of cool. I'll be interested to see if he can pass or not. So I just have a puppy in the background, but she should be sleeping. So thanks, Nathan, for including your your two uh, you know fur babies on there. But it's part of uh, you know everyday life the last few years um so thanks again for having me um you know it's been great these last you know three weeks and here we are last session known as making the most of what you have um, this is very near and dear to my heart just because um, you can see there at the very bottom, I don't talk about my bio or background a lot because I've done a lot of presentations, I've sat in a lot of presentations and you know we're really here to learn, not necessarily learn about the person themselves because they can always connect one on one afterwards. But the employee benefits at the bottom. Um, I really had that epiphany working for Walgreens, hiring pharmacists, different staff members, working in different areas of that company. That you know, it kind of overwhelming, are overwhelming with open enrollment. How do we make the most out of what the benefits are? And then what's what's great about you know Dickerson and, and working with agents, advisors, and their clients is. You know, a lot of people already have a really good baseline and understanding on how these things work. But imagine that in front of employees that don't get uh, access to that information. They're not really teaching it in college yet. Probably should teach it in high school, right? Just basic benefits when you go to work, how to read a tax return or even file your taxes, so on and so forth. Um, or pay stubs. I always have said, your pay stub will tell you a lot if you can decipher it and kind of understand what you're enrolled in what you're paying into or what you're missing so that without further ado you know i have a financial planning practice in northern california clients all across the us um but let's let's get into it and and again thanks nathan for being an excellent moderator and just making this so easy for me to come in and, and teach and share stories really is what I like to do, right? Not just read from the slide. So we've covered goals, expenses, tax, you know, touched the, the tip of the iceberg with tax strategies, which is ever changing. We've gone through the accumulation phase of our lives of really, you know, how, where do we save and why it's not just all about one account like a 401k that's usually the default we want to take advantage of any employer matches but you know if we have a set goal of saving 20 25 30 grand if we're fortunate enough to what pools or buckets do those uh savings go into and why and then last week we covered retirement income planning I, it's my favorite because, again, you, you, I showed the mountain slide and how we work so hard to accumulate assets, but we don't put a lot of thought in turning the assets and the income. And today, we're going to talk about, really, life, disability, touch on long-term care insurance, or really just long-term care as a process. I shouldn't even say insurance because it falls into estate planning. And then if legacy is important, and then we wrap it all up. So. I do have quite a bit to cover, but like the previous three weeks and knowing the group that I am presenting to, um, you know, I'm not gonna spend too much time on maybe the Medicare slides of part A, B, C, and D, uh, but again, leave, leave enough time for questions, Q&A at the end, and please feel free to use the chat, which Nathan will monitor if there's questions that come up along the way. So does that sound good,
0: Nathan? Are we, are we still good tech-wise? Hear me, okay? See you the stream. That's right. Yeah. And again, I'll man the fort. Anyone who's attending uh, right now, again, there's a question box on the right-hand side. Uh, so feel free to ask any questions that you may have, and we'll field those as we go along.
1: Thanks, Nathan. And again, I want everyone to know too. I'm not going to just skip over, you know, certain basic
0: insurance
1: principles because a lot of people on the line are licensed agents because the whole point of MetLife and RetireWise is to deliver education to, to rank and file employees, right? Or just a broad spectrum where, you know, I, I presented to like a Charles Schwab or a Morgan Stanley. And, and it's not for the advisors per se, it's for their you know clients, companies they work for, or the company itself with everyone from the day-to-day that actually gets the job done, you know, back-end operations. So um, here's what we're going to cover today. You know, first and foremost, if, if you haven't done a lot of estate planning and, and or don't want any headaches, you know, we're definitely going to throw out there multiple times. Please review your beneficiary designations. That will That will save a lot of time, energy, effort, and headaches. Um, And it's amazing how many times I review that with clients and one or two are either not in line with what they thought it was or it just was overlooked for many years. We're going to determine how much life and disability income insurance um, someone may need. We're going to look at other additional benefits uh, commonly offered through an employer and then we're going to wrap up with a safe plan. So, most of your employer benefits or what we provide to clients or, you know, what's available to us during open enrollment or if you're newly hired at a a company, we do usually gravitate towards the health and medical and dental, right, benefits first, because that's extremely important for an individual or their family. Um, Then we usually gravitate straight to the employer retirement account really just because it's exciting right what, what's the 401k is there a match what funds are available that's just what i've seen and we often overlook the, the disability side and the life insurance offerings but before i get into that uh, there are a couple key income programs too when the defined contribution is the 401ks of the world 403b 457 for deferred comp but remember why 401ks are so prominent. We we touched on this in weeks two and three. It's because defined benefit plans really so you know similar to Social Security and pensions because it is a pension or an annuity. Um, it was done for us. All we had to do was stick it out. You work 20, 30 years. They had a formula based on you know your average earnings. But to keep it really simple, I like to tell people. You know that if you're working for 30 years and they're they're crediting you three percent of your income per year that's what most people maxed out after 30 years and um you know got 90 percent of their salary walked into the sunset and hopefully had a happy retirement but it always didn't end up to be in your 80s 90s or beyond It, it could have been a shorter lifespan now things have shifted to the employees or the individuals to kind of figure out how much they're comfortable parting ways with to lower their salary. I'll, I call it a salary um, reduction plan, if you will, because if you put money into a 401k um, or an IRA, it's just lowering your taxable income on paper. And you defer it till later. And then you end up hopefully with a big pool and you've got to figure out how to draw down off of it. So that's really kind of the lay of the land and how things have shifted or changed. But defined benefit plans still are around. There are people with pensions, there's spouses or other family members or a partner that very well might still have a pension. And, you know, I work with a lot of teachers, police officers, firefighters, and that can be a huge component to any successful financial plan and or retirement plan. So let's talk about disability real quick here. Um, usually most people have a decent disability policy to start through work. Um, and again, most people probably on this call know that, you know, it's very common for 60% of your salary to be covered. Whether it's taxable or not, it's pretty easy to figure out because on your pay stub, either under the category of employer paid or you're chipping in for pay period. That usually is the first sign if the benefit received, if you ever went on claim or, you know, claim disability through that program, is either going to be taxable or tax free. So, you know, there's gaps oftentimes. Now, some people are concerned about it, some aren't. And I'll just give you an example. When I do a financial plan and somebody's used to bringing in $10,000 a month gross, and I, just look at their disability plan through work, the basic plan, and it covers 60%, meaning $6,000 a month, usually a waiting period. And then I say, hey, they're picking up the costs for this, which means that 6,000, we gotta take out some federal and state taxes. So you would net, let's just say 4,500. And then you just analyze the cash flow and the expenses and say, if you were out for a prolonged period of time, are you okay, or is that concerning? And there's just a couple ways you can fix that. You can go and get a private policy as a supplement or within company, sometimes they offer you a couple other options like you chip in per pay period, make that benefit tax-free so then you collect the full 6,000. Or maybe you can buy up a little and you can actually, uh, you know, buy a little bit more of your income back if you have the income to support it or there's other bonuses or other uh, areas of compensation that could be covered. So it's really not hard to figure out, but it is overlooked because I think the default when I've brought this up with the, in the past about life insurance and disability is a lot of times people say, "Oh yeah, I have that through work, can we just get to the investments already?" And I say, "Yeah, we're going to spend time on, you know, the investments and the more exciting things, but don't overlook some of this because it could be so easy to check a box during the next open enrollment or supplement it privately for a cost that's actually not as burdensome as you might think. So group life insurance, Um, also a great start, but most people don't really give it much more than, okay, I have one, two or three times my salary that they just give me, or maybe it's 50 grand. And in this area, I will say I have deeper conversations with people. Um, disability is extremely important as well because your, your biggest asset while you're working until you actually have the house paid off or a sizable retirement or investment account is your ability to earn income. So your number one asset is income. But most of us look at it for material and or you know money really is the way we equate to that with life insurance it's pretty easy to figure out if you have 50 grand that's given to you through your employer or you bought up to say two times your salary or three let's just say you're earning 100 grand a year and you bought three extra salary so now you have 300 grand or 400 grand but you're earning that 100 grand a year your expenses or five grand a month it's really easy to divide that death benefit times your expense or divided by your expenses and or how many years of salary it would replace. And that number is very low, right? And so what I like to tell people is, I'm not here to sell you a bunch of life insurance. You, you can buy it for me, you could go get it through your work if you want to go through underwriting. You could buy more through them up to the limits without underwriting. Um, but really think about yourself as an economic machine. And what I try to do is spend the conversation to something more positive, not that, hey, something's gonna happen to you tomorrow. It's just, you know, if you're only 45 years old making good money, you should bring in another $2 million between now and um, your desired retirement age. Not saying you need a two, three, $4 million life insurance policy, but, you know, have a little bit more self-worth and, and be uh, have some pride in the fact that you know if you passed away, two hundred grand would help the family or those that depend on you, but it might only also last one and a half, two and a half, three point four years, and then put pressure right back on the situation so there's a lot of rules of thumb, right? What's the monthly income? I've heard everything from multiply it by 25, by 8, divide it by this or that, but it's so much easier just to look at how many years of your income do you want to replace and or what's your expenses. And there's no right or wrong way. What I like to tell people is, is how much life insurance is enough, probably just a little bit more than what you currently have. That's where you have a conversation. And then in my world, it's, is it concerning enough to address it or should we move on? So term versus permanent. Um, I, I love this only because I'm not going to go on a tangent. Um, I promised Nathan that we'd stay on track, but hopefully some of you are going to get some humor from the way I explain all these different life insurances available and all the really fun opinions that I read online at the end of the day i don't care what the policy is called index universal life variable universal life term return of premium term whole life universal life you see where i'm going with this it either is being rented or you own it are there differences between each of those policies i've mentioned absolutely Is most of it to make it easier to sell or a little bit more palatable to the general public with bells and whistles that may or may not be benefits later on down the road? Absolutely. Can you tie it to the market or an index or just have it be safe and boring? Yes. What I like to tell people is when you rented your first apartment, not Bay area prices, not San Diego prices or LA, just just imagine before rent was out of control, that you probably first in your career could only afford to rent but someday you wanted to own a house or a condo there is no difference with life insurance that's what's fascinating to me is that people always say i'm just going to buy the cheapest possible and then do the rest on my own or the whole buy term and invest the difference which guess what if you have your term or you bought some term and you're enrolled in a 401k yourself on the back you're buying term and investing the difference uh most people do that without reading a book by dave ramsey and i'm having fun with this by the way i'm saying this with humor and a smile on my face the other school thought is okay i have to pay more but that's really expensive and this is where i tie it back to real estate if you're sick of renting the apartment for a thousand a month or 1500 or two grand and going back again to the days where it wasn't as big of a, or there was a bigger spread between renting and owning price-wise. Uh, I usually would ask people, well, why did you finally not want to rent anymore? And they would say things like, well, because I wanted to own it. And I go, okay, and with home ownership, what do you get? Well, I build equity and I know that it's mine at the end of a 30-year period or however long the mortgage is. And I say, okay, great. Uh, do you ever you know, plan to really tap into the home equity? I don't know but i just want to start building it on my personal balance sheet okay great that's exactly how cash value works within life insurance policies but most importantly just answer this for me your thousand a month now you've built your income you've kept your expenses under control it's scary to jump to paying 2800 a month for a mortgage or 3500 or we factor in property taxes But is that going to change your mind from owning it someday and most people say no i absolutely want to do this so that's how i explain this whole term versus permanent and where i see our industry go wrong is they push permanent but people can't afford it yet they just simply don't have the cash flow to do it just like why they had to rent for a while and then get to the situation or the um the ability to own and actually take out the mortgage that's why I have a lot of fun when it comes to this term versus permanent and, and all of the bells and whistles and all the different you know variations of opinions of articles, but it absolutely fascinates me that you know people really overthink it because you're either going to rent it and it's going to go away, or I like to say the landlord eventually is going to say mm-hmm, you're thirty years or up or you're twenty or whatever uh please leave now or you will pay more and own it either room by room or eventually you'll own the entire house so that's it um hopefully some of you uh could relate to that or that helps break it down a little but um there is no perfect product at the end of the day and and there's always going to be a new flashy one out there that's created but i promise you this the actuaries are extremely intelligent and whatever it is that they're they're selling or packaging is just to uh, catch consumers attention as well, because it's either gonna stay there forever or eventually it could go away. If you plan to uh, retire before age 65, this is where we're gonna talk a little bit about health insurance, but here's what's fascinating to me about this slide. I have a pre-meeting data sheet that I usually have people fill out just so that I can um, have a, an easier conversation or the conversation flows better with with prospective clients and it has things on there like what do you want to talk about what are the goals desired retirement age Um, questions you'd like to ask me during the meeting and without fail under the desired retirement age a lot of people say 65 and i've always wondered why do we choose 65 well it's pretty simple most people even if they're doing a good job of saving In the back of their mind, know that they're not eligible for Medicare or the health insurance premiums that are subsidized until age 65 unless they're working or they're covered through an employer um, or their spouse or their partner. So have I seen people successfully retire before 65 where both uh, members of the household don't have coverage and they just pay a lot out of pocket for their own private insurance? Yes, but most of us default to 65 because either we feel like we're behind and we can't afford to retire earlier or it's really health care related or some sort of coverage that would be very expensive per month. If it wasn't being subsidized or paid for through an employer, or at least we didn't hit the Medicare eligibility age. So there's a great piece that I'm gonna send out to Nathan, and this is in the digital workbook, but Medicare.gov, going back to the very first slide from week one of, you know, Google can be the best thing in the world or the worst to take you down a rabbit hole when you end up on like irs.gov or anything for the state in which you reside or medicare.gov it they there are some really good useful uh, resources out there that better explain a lot of these programs any questions coming through yet nathan i'm just going to take a sip of water we're doing okay time wise at least on you my
0: yeah we're uh definitely on good pace um still have about 30 minutes left <clears throat> and uh by the way Great explanation between uh, term and permanent. Um, <laughs> it's always a struggle trying to explain it to, to clients. Um, I yeah. think I'm probably going to use that one as well. Yeah. Uh, but this one, yeah, Barbara Kempin coming in hot. So um, wanted to know, you know, kind of getting getting your thoughts on this. So uh, she writes, with such low interest and cost of insurance, is someone not better to buy term and invest in the stock market? Many guaranteed ULs show in midterm that they are expiring. So um, So how are we supposed to show it? How can we say the 4% they're estimating is just not guaranteed?
1: Yeah. So it depends on the old policies versus the new. Um, The the 7702 change with the IRS tax code has actually made them in my opinion. um, I've stayed away. Now this is just me personally. I've stayed away from any of the universal life unless it was issued in the 90s with higher interest rates. Um, or enough cash built up, but most of them implode. I I say universal life, unless it's one of those guard products or the ones that have a guaranteed premium and cannot lapse, I don't like them because they're they're designed to implode at some point and they were using interest rates from the 80s and 90s that just aren't sustainable. The new ones issued on the UL and the whole life side, do only show a 2% guarantee from the insurance companies and a heck of a lot more realistic in my opinion if they're tied to an index to actually perform at that level or on the whole life side through their dividends if they're participating with the, the major mutual companies they've held up just fine but I've always uh and ul and and iul and and vul can but i've seen those implode too just because of the cost of insurance in the background uh really hit you hard in your 50s and 60s so if i'm going to design a permanent product um it'll probably be whole life i've done some ul as well for estate planning but it's gotta be one of those features where there's really no cash value build up and it's gonna be a guaranteed premium no matter if the insurance company screwed up or not with their projections. Hopefully that helps, but nobody likes surprises, especially with their life insurance when they need it most. So I'm very careful in the way I design that.
0: Very cool, very informative and thorough. So thank you for that. Uh, And again, if you do have any follow-up questions as well, Definitely, feel free to uh, write those down in the questions box. Uh, additionally, if um, you know afterwards when we send you the contact information too, just if anything else pops up after the meeting, we're always here to answer those questions for you.
1: And I'll just add one more thing to that comment too about shouldn't you just buy a term and invest the difference? Um, yes, it, I mean yes, but the problem is is you would have to be disciplined. So I. That's the biggest issue is could you buy the term and then take the premiums you would for a UL or a whole life and put it in a mutual funds or a bond fund long term? Yeah, but I think I mentioned this in the very first week because I've really been getting deep into the behavioral finance and almost done with the certificate in it. 95% of us left discipline or self-control so for the five percent of the world population that can do that it works and it sounds great on paper but us being able to dip our hands in the cookie jar of a brokerage account or actually choose the right funds stick with it not you know get in or out of the market because of what we're seeing on tv that really implodes and that's where you come up very short of what the death benefit or the cash value could be mainly not because of performance but because of when we look in the mirror at ourselves so i just want to add that because textbook world makes perfect sense and then there's real life so it it is possible absolutely Okay, so I don't wanna skip over the Medicare, but this is how I explain it to people as well, is we've got inpatient Part A, outpatient Part B, we got all these different kind of supplement plans and Medigap, I call it like the Kaiser Medicare Advantage Part C and then Part D for prescription drugs or uh, illegal drugs that's from my Walgreens days. So, you know, Part A and B, a lot of that is gonna be uh, similar to when you're working. Um, and this is where I can add a little bit of insight because a lot of people are already familiar with these different parts and it's an ever-changing world. So two things I can add to this. In my financial planning process or in our group, I, only out, I outsource anything Medicare-related and or health insurance-related to somebody that only does that, even though I'm licensed, because as we all know, it is ever changing. Is there a subsidy from the government? Is there COVID relief? Is it gonna change? What are they gonna add from year to year? Do we have to go to cover California or not? I don't, I cannot even keep up with all that. I have to know about it, but I absolutely rely on, you know, people like from Dickerson and other professionals that really, this is their main focus. But as far as a certain parts go, it makes sense, right? When I do retirement income planning, somebody's Medicare eligibility age, and they're taking income from the social security side, we know that that can be deducted from their payment. Um, if they wanna buy a little bit more, or have some bells and whistles that include extra services, um, you know, we can add that in as well. And then part D, for the drugs, this is where I tell people, again, from my Walg- Walgreens experiences, as you're heading into retirement or getting to that age of uh, of Medicare eligibility, sit down with your physicians or your professionals or your specialists and also go to that Medicare.gov website to see if the prescription drugs that you're currently on are already covered because it might be as simple as a brand versus a generic of course you want to make sure your primary care physician is within a network right or covered by medicare or one of the advantage part c programs but you know nobody would want to make that transition and then be told well your doctor you can't go to the doctor you've seen for 30 years or the drug when you go to Walgreens or CVS and you get it filled is now you know we need 186 dollars from you versus your normal copay so there's always this I like to call it dual responsibility between the uh, patient and maybe the, the, the physician or the healthcare professionals. But then again, the advisor, if you work with an advisor, these are things that hopefully they're getting paid for to help you just be aware of it and put it down on a checklist so that you don't have all those headaches or you're not waiting in line, hopefully somewhere, seeing somebody screaming at someone back and forth because of really a simple error of not marking brand versus generic and or the insurance wasn't updated so on and so forth so that's what I'll add to part a B c D um, and it's an ever-changing game um, and you know as we get into the long-term care conversation, I think last night even during the uh, state of the Union you know um, I've heard. President Biden say we need to have long-term care and hearing and dental and vision included. I, I just don't know how we're gonna pay for it. And I'm not trying to get political at all, but for years a lot of administrations have been talking about that. And it's just really tough to um, you know, figure that part out of, of the balance sheet, if you will. But for now, you know that's why these medic that's why there's extra services that need to be combined and or sold to consumers because as we get older, what's more likely to happen? It's the podiatrist visits, right it's the hearing, the dental, the vision um, My joke here though is is the one on here that I completely am okay with not including in Medicare is Cosmetic surgery, uh, you know, that, okay. So if you could afford cosmetic surgery or we're worried about, you know, um, the way we look as we age, that should probably be something privately. But there's a lot of issues outside of the basic healthcare um, and, and it's an ever changing world. So that's why I don't spend too much time on these slides because it's gonna be different for each individual based on pre-existing conditions. Or how often they see a physician or healthcare professionals and and we're going to transition here to to long-term care and estate plan but did anything else come in nathan as far as uh questions before i transition to the last say six seven slides
0: uh you know what actually there there is uh marvin was asking um if you could just one more time kind of re-explain that whole you know three four percent to put into a pension plan uh, the question that was asked by Barbara earlier, if you're able to kind of re-explain that one more time, I, I think uh, there were some folks that didn't catch all of it, so they're just kind of uh, wanting to do, do a quick recap.
1: Was it a pension or a life insurance question, Nathan? So I said I gave a 3% example into a pension, or were they talking about, are we talking about the life insurance 7702 changes the 2%? Uh, let's
0: let's rehash the the pension one but marvin if you also wanted to get okay. further explanation about the life yeah. uh let me know
1: the pension one this this is what i was given as an example um so 30 40 years ago or even 20 years ago you got hired by a company and they said we don't even need to offer you a 401k because we have this defined benefit plan available which has a formula based on years of service and how much money you make so if for easy math, let's just say you start off at 30 years old with this company and you're making a hundred grand. Um, and each year you work there, they're going to put or credit basically in a, in a, just in an account and it will have a lump sum, but it's all about the income. They're going to give you 3% of that hundred grand every single year that you work. So the first year you'd have three grand for the rest of your life, then six, then nine then 12. And you can see how, when you get to a 30 year max, usually the formulas will say, we'll give you two and a half or 3% of your salary per year of service for the rest of your life once you max out at 90% or a certain age. So at 60, you say, I'm done, I've maxed out. We see this with with police officers and firefighters still. I'm I'm gonna collect 90 grand a year of that 100 because I put in my 30 years at 3% per year. And hopefully Marvin, that makes that a lot more clear. And think about it. We didn't have to save a million 1.5 and then figure out how to turn that on from a 401k or even worry about how to invest it along the way. It was really done for us, and that's why it's much more difficult for people to retire because a lot of that has gone away because it's expensive to, number one, guarantee it, but also uh, more workers and, and so on and so forth
0: versus those retiring very so good yeah helpful. thank you yeah thank you for rehashing uh but yeah. yeah it looks like marvin did um come back in just uh if you could also explain the the life insurance one as well the whole four percent i just can yeah. to like, explain so, that one, one more time
1: yep so on the universal life side because there's two things going on and this is what barbara mentioned They used to use as a benchmark when illustrating the performance of a policy, 30-year bonds, 20-year, they they used treasury securities as the insurance company because they could collect millions of dollars in premiums a year and just go buy a bond for the federal government, right, say a billion worth of 30-year bonds. And that was like at eight, nine, 10, 12%. So then to you as the policy owner, they say, look, we're gonna give you 8% a year. We're gonna actually project that moving forward as you pay your premiums, your money's gonna grow, not by the full bond amount, but some sort of a spread. And we're gonna guarantee your death benefit. That was what was going on and still to this day for universal life policies. They were awesome in the eighties and nineties and even early 2000s. But the problem was nobody could see what if the interest rates go down significantly from double digits to basically zero to four or five. There's still some 30 year bonds maturing in the next five or 10 years for a lot of insurers that are still taking advantage of high interest rates. But that's why they had to make a change to not illustrate things to people that just were not realistic in today's day and age. So the 7702 now says you can only guarantee the performance of a policy to see if it holds up whether it's universal or whole life and it needs to be illustrated at 2% which is good it doesn't look pretty. And that's where a lot of people think they can do better in the market. But remember that it's not supposed to be compared to like an S&P 500 fund, it's supposed to be slow, boring, consistent. So what you really need to do is look at the return, maybe to corporate bond funds or government funds, um, if you want to analyze if it's a better deal or not. But don't overlook the death benefit. If the death benefit can be guaranteed tax-free and the policy holds up, that's quite a bit of money compared to trying to do it the hard way on your own. So hopefully that helps too, but it's good that they can't illustrate any more, you know, these high interests or guaranteed side of the column, if you will.
0: Very cool, thank you so much. Yep. Uh, let me take a look, just, I wanna see, There we go. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, So another one from from Marvin. So this kind of touches point. I'm sure you've heard about it, too. The whole, you know, retirement uh, act, the SECURE Act, uh, where retirement plans need to be put in place by, I think, like June or July, uh, especially in California, you know, uh, in California. So what Marvin was asking, you know, so if a company doesn't have a pension plan, which, of course, a lot of them out there don't have them anymore. they're making companies set up the Cal savers plan where the people yeah. have to put in 5%. So I think the simple plan where both employee and employer put in 3%, it, wouldn't that be a little bit better? Maybe you can kind of eh, yeah. get, get your opinion on on the whole 401k, 3% each kind of yeah. your thoughts yeah. on everything. So You know,
1: I'll tell you this, Mark, you know, It you're you're forcing people who, I just had two business owners this week text me about CalSafe. I I, I know exactly what's going on. It's a Roth account. They want to force, you know, and it's not forced. I hate using that word.
2: They want to encourage, you know, employers to uh, have a plan available for their employees and or
1: contribute on their behalf. I do agree. I just responded to a to a business owner that I work with. He owns a painting company. He has 25 employees and over the years before CalSavers even, you know, was was on the radar as a deadline, we talked about simples and he said, "You know what? I'd rather just them cash bonuses because a lot of them send money you know back to their families overseas or to mexico and they just really don't care about a roth or a simple And you know i get that as far as the two i think i've opened more simples in the last two weeks just because i do agree that you know having a little bit of a match like a three percent or a safe harbor or whatever they want to do plus the ability for the employee if they want to put more in than just you know, six grand or 5,500
2: um, it is a good way to go. But at the end of the day, it's just having it available so that they're off that list and exempt from, from the new laws being passed. So uh, I also really like guidelines 401k, the goguideline.com because the administrative fees to open a 401k and how easy it is to press buttons and enroll and get the plan set up uh, is, is a
1: very easy way to do it as well i could do it but that would take some paperwork and dollars so um, hopefully that helps on my opinion I, I don't like forcing people to save but i see why they think it's a good idea but there's a difference between real life and politicians who say oh this is a great idea but then they don't really understand, like my painted example, that they don't really
0: care about it because they would rather have cash. Okay, very cool. Um, let me see, looks like, okay, so it looks like we have a couple of more questions coming in, but uh, let's see if we can, we have a couple more slides to get through. Uh, yeah, so let's we'll see if uh, let me, let maybe they might it, answer those and then we'll, We'll take care of the uh, questions at the very, very end.
1: Perfect, so I'm gonna get through these next few slides in the next five or seven minutes, and then we'll we'll address those questions too. So long-term care, Um, you know, it's the bathing, dressing, um, things that we take for granted. Nobody wants to think about when someone needs to come into their home, help them with those things and or go to some sort of facility in the future. So here's my opinion on long-term care. And when I bring this up, a lot of people think Uh, You know, Jimmy's going to talk about long-term care insurance policies. Well, no, because there was 15 available, you know, when I started in the business. And now we're down to five. And Of the five in the state of California, I would probably really only recommend two or three if it works. Um, But here's the bottom line. It needs to be a part of your estate plan. If you want to self-insure, because I've had people that tell me, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I've got that figured out. Like, I'm just going to self-insure because I've got this IRA or brokerage account or significant home equity. I say, great. Can I see the estate planning documents that state who the power of attorney is, which adult kid is in the area, which account you're going to, you know, kind of earmark or liquidate first, and is it written out within your family? of your wishes, meaning do you wanna stay at home for as long as possible, and at what point do you transition out, which is not an easy conversation um, or event to go through, and what areas have you eyed as far as continuing care retirement communities, whether it's Alzheimer's, dementia, or is it just somewhere nice down the street that's actually close to your family members? I have yet to have anybody even with millions of dollars, or tell me that they've got it figured out, that can produce that plant out of hundreds, if not into the thousands. So just think about that. Um, or my family will take care of me. Um, we know the government's probably not gonna step in. Nobody really wants to take advantage of Medi-Cal or Medicaid. Um and there still are some insurances that can provide benefits a lot of it's tied now in the to life insurance though or annuity hybrids but let me go back to my family will take care of me um yeah you know a lot of times unless families you know really don't like each other someone will step up but like I'll use my family as an example um we're lucky where our parents are all within all the kids the adult kids are within i'd say 30 miles but we do have one brother that lives in texas and so it really does come down to who's the closest right and um they did get their estate plan in order though meaning my dad and my stepmom to say okay nick my oldest brother first is first in line and then it gets, goes to my sister and then me Um, They want me to be, like, kind of uh, the one dictating the investments or liquidations, but those two have co-power of attorney and healthcare decisions if they can't make it for one another, and they told us that they want to stay in their home, and they're okay with, you know, spending money to maybe retrofit it a little bit more if needed. And then there's some um, you know, communities nearby that they would prefer, even if it's expensive. That's an example of at least a better plan than no plan at all. Um, they also did buy smaller life insurance policies with long-term care benefits just to not exhaust their own assets as quickly if the event happens or not. So that's my rundown on long-term care. We know it's expensive. It doesn't matter where you live. And what's fascinating too is uh, it's not just California. We would think that if it's 10 grand a month for semi-private rooms, private rooms, having someone come to your house, whether they're licensed or not, would be much more expensive than Nevada or Arizona. Actually, nationally, the numbers are not far off from one another. There's usually no more than a three to 5% delta one way or the other depending on the state in which you reside so that was a really fascinating point to me when I when I read a study that was just published uh, actually as soon as last year so we're going to talk real quick about estate planning and then again I want to make sure there's been a lot of great questions so I want to make sure we can open that back up so you know what happens when when property passes at death it's either by law by contract, that's why beneficiary designations are so important on direct transfer assets, like pensions, IRAs, annuities, um, life insurance, by last will and testament, and then by state laws, meaning probate in the absence of direction. So um, let me just wrap up here with this. Probate, not fun, it's public, it means you missed the beneficiary designation, there was not one on file, You didn't have your will and trust set up. And so basically what happens is your assets go to the probate court and people can essentially um, fight over. Or they're supposed to have something in hand like a will that does not bypass probate. It just is handed to the judge. And then they say, okay, this is legit. It's notarized. And hopefully it speeds the process up. So that way, it can be divvied up to whoever you know the will uh, dictated, and you can move on. Um, Prince is still going through, or his estate, I should say, in the state of Minnesota. I think they might have just wrapped it up, but however many years ago he passed away, I think we're going on five to seven years that it was being challenged in the state of Minnesota, which shows me that it was not set up properly, there, there were were no wills and trusts. On the other side, when Robin Williams passed away, also tragic, hits the news headlines. But then, if it if it really, um, I always say, dies down, and it's such a bad use of words. But you know, once it died down, um, that shows that things were in order and the estate <coughs> was properly distributed. And so, what are the key parts of an estate plan? Durable powers of attorney. Healthcare proxies—they do not need to be the same person. Oftentimes, they are if there's a level of trust, or it's a spouse, or it's an adult child. But um, I always like to say, if somebody's got healthcare knowledge, maybe they're an RN, physician, um, or you know, PA within the household, or pharmacist—they might be your healthcare proxy but beneficiary designations are absolutely important. HIPAA release forms and then special needs planning is a whole nother entity within estate planning. And last one minute, hopefully funny story here, the designated digital fiduciary, and then I'm gonna put my contact information up on the screen and hand it back over to Nathan for questions is when I first saw this, I said, what the heck is designate a digital fiduciary? Is that like somebody that pops up in your family room or living room when somebody's died and it's like a hologram that says, Nathan can have Jimmy's guitars or he gets this car, you know, whatever the case is. Um, That's just, I, I was having fun with it, but it's all of our digital assets. If you've stored family photos or your Apple music catalog or anything on the cloud or Google, think of it like a power of attorney. But what if, like I had a bunch of photos or my wife and I did and something happened to her. Well, I don't know where to start. I don't have all of her passwords. So there, there is a wave coming for like the Apples, the Googles, the Netflixes, where you're going to have to prove to them if you want to access any digital data um, if someone passes away. So designating a digital fiduciary is somebody who actually has the power to you know, reset accounts, shut accounts down, take them over or actually retrieve information. And I always use the family photo albums if somebody's made them digital, because what happens if the person who controls that, it's not backed up or it's public to everyone within the family. So I am going to put my contact information up here and hand it back to you, Nathan. We've got six minutes left, so that's
0: kind of perfect, but I appreciate the questions along the way as well. Okay, sounds good. Oh yeah, and actually though just a it was a, it was a comment that we saw just that uh, companies especially Transamerica are still showing and selling a big percentage return and guaranteeing it to 65 um with a zero guarantee. Uh Oh hey, there that's a good question. Does the trust have to pay taxes on the estate? Depends on how it's set up and it's a living trust um generally speaking yes and whoever is uh the trustee and or the appointed person within the trust which again can
1: also be a family member they would be responsible for filing a trust tax return from year to year um it depends on the assets that are in it if there's any growth and or if it's revocable or not if it's irrevocable That's why people set up your revocable trust so that there there could be tax breaks or not. You you could avoid some of those taxes, but it depends. And that's where you need to work with an estate planning attorney too, to properly set it up depending on what assets we're talking about that go into the trust and when they pay out quite frankly into who.
0: Oh yeah, actually that reminds me of this article I came across. Um, You know, what happens if you sell your child, your house for one dollar. <laughs> Do they have to uh, pay estate taxes on the one dollar or the value of the house? It was a fun read. Um, I may have to send out that article to everyone. But it's by the way, it's it's not so black and white. There's some consequences to that, so it's probably best to talk with someone like Jimmy if you're if you're thinking about doing something like that too. Um, looks like. Uh, Are we getting a copy of the slides? Uh, So that was uh, Joan wanted to ask that one. So in terms of the information that you saw today, uh, a lot of it was explanatory. Uh, Just looking at the slides probably doesn't have a whole lot of context. And so that's why we uh, we've gotten some documents for you. Jimmy's prepared a lot of really awesome workbooks as well uh, that does contain a lot of this uh, this information, uh, so it's very informative. So after this meeting, we're going to send you some documents that are related to the slides, but sending out the slides, of course, it would just not make a whole lot of sense without some explanation. So the yeah, other it, documents that we're going to send out yeah, are so- more relatable to it.
1: Yeah, to answer Joan's question, MetLife doesn't allow us to send it out because it's proprietary to them, but the digital workbook, if you didn't get a copy, just shoot me an email or Nathan, it does have, I would say, 90% of the slides and the concepts are in the digital workbook from, from all four weeks that we covered, actually, but yeah, I... If it were up to me, I wouldn't mind doing it. The problem is, is all the disclaimers at the bottom and anything they show might not be updated if there's a tax law change, you know, in four months or something changes. So they just want to make sure there's no liability of saying like, but I read it and, you know,
0: this is what was taught if, if something's changed, but it's proprietary in that life. So um, I don't send them out per their rules, but that digital workbook's great because it does have a lot of them in there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay. So yeah, it looks like somebody was asking for all the workbooks, not to worry. I do have all of them uh, taken care of at the end of this meeting. Uh, I'll be sending out just all of everything that was sent out previously. I'll just resend it. So those of you who did receive it in the past, you, there's a lot of emails going back and forth. So you can ignore the past emails. The new one's going to have all of the documents from the past four weeks as well. Uh, also for, uh, Jimmy, I, um, did have another question that, that came up. It was actually from a previous um, workshop that we had. It's kind of the first timers and it's really poignant on this meeting right now. The whole, you know, making the most of what you have. Yeah. If there was a client that came to you and said, Jimmy, you know what? I am 40 years old. I am living paycheck to paycheck. I am now worried about my retirement and what that means what would be like the first step like in your opinion what would be the best first step to to start this whole retirement planning process sort of late in the game like at 40 or 45 saying i need something that i can retire off and live off comfortably
1: so i would say that i'm going to answer that in two ways if i would say hire a financial planner for a flat fee to really help you with this stuff one-on-one so i you but, you know, and that's not the best answer because obviously then it's like, oh, you could hire me, but for a flat fee, we would go through the entire, you know, A through Z of your plan and where you're doing well and where things, you know, need improvement. But I would say this as the the easier answer, right, versus hiring someone to do that um, is really take that cash flow worksheet and tracking your expenses and what you're currently saving and what's coming in versus going out. That would be a great first step because then even if I saw that during a complimentary one-on-one and somebody and we identified, okay, good. You're taking advantage of the match through your employer. Could we afford to put more into another program so that you feel like you could catch up? it's always going to come back to Nathan simply to do we even have the positive cash flow to do it. And then we would have to look at reducing expenses and or lifestyle, but that's not the fun part. It's let's track and analyze what you're doing. Currently. And is there any quick kind of efficient changes we can make to make a bigger impact? But you know, when you hire a financial planner, not the people who just charge 1% to manage your assets
0: you can pay a flat fee for a written financial plan that covers a series of meetings and produces the actual written strategies one-on-one with that person. So that's the key difference between, I think, a financial advisor and a planner is they're allowed to charge different ways depending on the relationship. Okay, very informative. Thank you for that. So yeah, just going back to it, uh, those of you who, haven't received the workbook yet, just uh, stay tuned for the workbook to head your way. So if you are looking for either improvements on the growth of your retirement income, uh, or if you're just starting out, um, no no shame in that. Uh, The very first step is take a look at the workbook and see you know, t- what, where are your finances going? What can be moved around? What are necessities? What are luxury items? And just kind of go through it on your own, just kind of like, kind of like reading a self-help book. But, you know, down the road, if you do need some professional help, just like Jimmy said, it's always best to just pay a flat fee and have somebody who's been doing this for years and years and years to go through it with you, to give you a really solid game plan uh, for the future. So again, something that you can do yourself, share with clients, share with friends and colleagues, and and really help them out as well. Uh, So it looks like that's all we have for today. I know we went a tiny bit over, about a minute over. So again, thank you all for sticking with us, going through the entire four workshops. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We definitely have to do this again. There's there's going to be more stuff in the future. I'm also going to be sending out the calendar uh, schedule as well, so bookmark that as as well uh, on on your web uh, any web browser that you have, uh, just to take a look for any upcoming webinars. Uh, we're definitely going to schedule something like this in the future. There's a lot of good information that people uh, take away and have actually found success, uh, like the one we did last year. So I'm hoping we can do this again. Uh, So with that, I'm going to let everyone get back to the rest of their day. Uh, Jimmy, if you want to have any final, final words before we close out the meeting, feel free to do so.
1: I was just going to say thank you. Thank you to the group. It's always fun and looking forward to a future four-part series.
0: (laughs) All right. Sounds good. So everyone, stay productive, and we'll all talk very, very soon. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks.